Good morning, everybody. I'm so grateful for all of you who are in person on all three of our campuses today. Yay, God for you. You're here, you're well, and you're a part of our service. So thank you. Thank you for being here. And I want to thank all of those who are joining us online. We're so grateful for you as well, including our fourth campus at Darrington. Men, we love you. We think about you every, every day, and we pray for you, and thank you for joining us online today. And everyone, all of that are in the Sugarland area and across the greater Houston area and all of Texas and people in, from other places all over the world. Thank you. We welcome you at Sugar Creek Baptist Church today and so grateful you are a part of our service. The word happiness is an emotion that we feel when everything is lining up. Everything is going well. The sun is shining, the birds are singing, and everything in our life just seems to be coming together. It brings happiness. I love being happy. Anybody like being happy? I love being happy. And we have happy moments in our life, and we have happy days in our life, and it is absolutely wonderful. But they don't stick. They don't stay. And the truth is, we need problems to happen in our life. What are you talking about? Crazy guy? Yes, we need problems in our life. Problems are coming. We can't stop them. And the truth is, if we'll open up our heart to it, problems are good for us. They are our friends. Because problems have a tendency to, to help us grow faster and stronger than we would if they were not there. They have a tendency to cause us to be wiser and better. They, they cause us to appreciate our relationships more, build self-discipline in our lives. The truth is, we need problems. We need them to come. They, they are really our friends. Jesus knew they were going to be a part of our life. But here's what Jesus said. He said, I give to you a joy that is so deep, so strong, so dependable that this world cannot take this joy from you. I give you a joy that is so powerful in your life that even pandemics and even problems and struggles and difficulties you go through, they cannot steal away your joy. Now, that word that Jesus used for joy is really a word that means a confident assurance in the midst of a storm that says everything is okay because of Jesus. A confident assurance in the midst of a storm. Everything is okay because of Jesus. There is a peace that passes all understanding. There is a confidence that we have in our life. Even when we're going through difficulties, even when we're going through problems and disappointments, because we know there is a God in heaven and he's on his throne and this God loves us and knows us and knows our need and at just the right moment, God will meet that need. It is that confidence. It is that strength that we really are needing and wanting in our life. You see, happiness is an emotion, but joy is an attitude. If there was anybody in the Bible that understood attitude, it was the Apostle Paul. So many of the things that he writes, really he is talking about attitude. 
If there was anybody that understood attitude, even in the hardest of times, it is this guy that wrote the book of Philippians that we're walking through together today. And in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 26, that we're going to look at this morning, Paul talks about this very issue. And Paul is teaching us three basics of how it is that we could turn the hardest of times, the most difficult of moments in our life, around for good. Around for God to use in a positive way. And this morning, I want us to talk about that very thing. How to be happy, that deep abiding happiness, how to have that kind of joy in our life, no matter what it is we're facing. Three key basics. So with that in mind, let's look at what he has to say to us. And basic number one is this. Choose to look for the good in spite of the bad. The truth is, The issue that determines our happiness, this deep abiding happiness, is not the issues, the problems that happen in our life, it's how we interpret them. It's how we interpret the issues that is the key to it being moving from an emotion to an attitude in our life. Here is Paul. He is a prisoner at the very moment he is writing the book of Philippians. Again, this time in Rome for no other reason but that he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for four years, Paul is in prison in Rome. Part of that time, he is in what was called the Mamertine prison, which was a horrible, terrible place. It was rat infested. They didn't try to get rid of the rats. Part of their torture of these prisoners were the rats. And Paul was sleeping with rats every single night. It was a horrible, terrible place. Barely enough food to keep body and soul together. But the other time that that Paul was in that prisoner kind of atmosphere and environment was as under house arrest. That's got to be better than with the rats. But all the time, 24-7, every minute of every day, he was chained to a soldier, a Roman soldier, under guard by that soldier. And yet, though he is in these kinds of conditions, Paul makes the statement in Philippians chapter 1 verse 18, I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Paul is saying, I have joy. I've got deep joy. And my joy is growing stronger every day. What? With rats chained to a guard? How in the world could Paul have come to the place to say, I have this deep abiding joy in my life and the joy is growing stronger every single day. Verse 12 is the key to understand it. He says this, now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. What is he saying? Paul is saying, I can see God in everything I'm going through. In all that I'm experiencing, even the rats, even being chained to a guard, I can see God in the middle of everything I'm experiencing and everything I'm going through. Paul had learned to see the good in spite of the bad. So what is the good that he is seeing in the middle of being incarcerated for four years in, in Rome? Well, the first thing that he says is this. Because of my pain, people who would never have heard of Jesus are hearing about him. 
What is he talking about? Well, look at verse 13. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. Not only was Paul chained to soldiers, but soldiers were chained to Paul. It was 24 hours a day. They would have shifts of six hours each. And at the end of the shift, the next soldier would come. Praetorian guard soldier would come. Now, this Praetorian guard, these were the most elite of the soldiers. These were the guys who were great leaders, and there were 9,000 of them in Rome. And they were taking their turn. Not everyone would have been chained to Paul, but it seems like hundreds would have been, maybe even thousands. And they were chained every six hours a new soldier would arrive. These Praetorian Guard soldiers were amazing. In fact, after they would retire, many of them would be put in leadership somewhere in the government in, in the Roman Empire, and sometimes even as senators in the Roman Empire. One after another, every six hours would come. And Paul would begin the conversation just like he had with the other guards. And he began to talk to them about Jesus Christ and the difference that Jesus had made in his life. What his life was like before he came to know Christ and what his life has now become once he has come to know Jesus. And he would begin talking to them about their sin and their need for Christ. Not every one of them came to know Christ as Savior, but several of them did. Though not all of them came to know Christ, all of them came to know about this man, Paul, and came to know the story about Jesus because he was the talk of all of them. History tells us that Nero was one of the worst human beings in all of human history. He was the Adolf Hitler of the first century, and he was the emperor in Rome at this very moment in Paul's life. He was a horrible, terrible, evil human being. But did you know that history also tells us that even Nero had members of his extended family who came to know Christ as their savior? Even though Nero hated Christians and were putting, was putting them to death by the hundreds and even the thousands, members of his extended family secretly came to know Jesus as their savior. And how in the world did they? They weren't hearing Paul. What they were hearing was the effect of Paul. There were some of these Praetorian guards who came to know Christ as savior and they would share Christ with someone else who would share Christ with someone else who would share Christ with someone else. And over time, the gospel came to even Nero's family. And some of them came to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. Paul may have never known it. The impact that Paul's life had. You think about this. Paul could have said, can you believe what's happening to me? And he could have moaned and groaned. Can you believe this terrible thing has happened to me? That I've been put into a cell for a while with rats and now I'm chained to a guard 24 hours a day. God, why have you done this to me? Why have you allowed this to happen to me? But Paul didn't do that. What Paul did is understand that God was using this moment. He was willing to open his heart to see the good in spite of the bad. And because he was willing to do that and then open his mouth and share Christ with others, 
Paul was making a difference even when he didn't know it. One day you and I will go to heaven. You know Jesus as your Savior. And one day we're going to get to heaven. We will not know the impact of our life. Not until we get to heaven, but you are having an impact. And every time you and I come to these moments in our life that are so hard and such a struggle and so difficult in our life, and instead of, oh, crying, oh, God, how could you let this happen? And God, I'm mad at you because you, you let me go through hard times and problems and moan and groan. Instead of doing that, if we opened our heart to God and let, just said, God, I know you love me. I know you're in the middle of this. God, use this moment for your glory. God turns those moments in our life around and you and I do not know the impact because there are people watching us. And as they're watching our life and people are hearing the gospel of Christ through us, you and I are making a difference and don't even know how much. And then those people that come to faith in Christ because we have opened our mouth and shared Jesus with somebody else and they share Christ and then they share Christ and then they share Christ. What happens is that you and I are continuing our impact because of our faithfulness at the hardest, at the worst times of our lives. And it's only when we get to heaven and you're going to be stunned that we get to heaven and God shows us the impact of our life and the difference that we made in the hearts and lives of other people. And it's only then that we will understand how God used us. Paul is saying, I have come to understand that there is good coming from this. And one of the ways that it is, is that people are coming to faith in Christ even through my pain. There's a second thing that he says in the passage, and it's this, because I've been willing to be courageous, and I've been willing to walk through these moments, others are gaining courage and now sharing their faith as well. Listen to what he says in verse 14, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. There are Christian people that are brothers and sisters in Christ and they're watching how we respond to life. They're seeing how when we go through hard times that we're trusting God, that we're depending on God, that we, we are, we are uh, letting God use this moment in a positive way in our life and they are gaining courage and they are following what they are seeing happen in you. And that... Paul said, I came to realize the stronger I am, more courageous that I act during the times in which I'm going through hard times, even when I don't know that people are watching, they are gaining courage. They are trusting God because they're, exceeding, they're seeing the example of trusting God in me. There's a third thing that happens, and we know it. Maybe Paul knew it. Maybe he didn't. And it's simply this, that because Paul was in prison, we have a large section of the New Testament. We wouldn't have had otherwise. The New Testament it has 27 books in it, and 13 of those books were written by the Apostle Paul. Not all of them were written while he was in prison, but the majority of them were written while he was in prison. And he was able to write them because he was in prison. 
He had the time, he had the focus, he had the moment, he had the opportunity. And instead of crying and whining about what he was going through, Paul said, oh God, I want to use this time in the most powerful way I can use this time. And I thank you for the opportunity. And he sat down and began to write books that has, has turned your and my heart upside down. We've learned more about God through the writings of Paul than any other author. We've come to understand the gospel more by Paul's writings than any other person in the Bible. You and I have been blessed because Paul didn't moan and groan. And oh God, look what has happened to me. But he opened his heart and said, God, what Satan meant for evil, you have meant for good. And I'm going to tell you the same thing is true about your life and mine. What Satan means for evil, God has used for good. In those moments that you and I have gone through hurt and hard times and so disappointed and so frustrated, God used those times, uses those times in your and my life if we'll let him. Here's the truth. What we feed grows stronger and what we withheld, withhold that feed, grows weak and dies. I was looking Thursday and Friday, I was looking outside um, my, the windows of my house and I, I've got weeds coming up everywhere. In the backyard, in the front yard, in the side yard, I just got weeds coming up everywhere. See, I know it's January, but this is Houston and it's still mild weather and the weeds are just popping up everywhere. And I know what I'm gonna have to do in, in a week or two or whenever, I'm gonna have to put down pre-emergent and kill the weeds and I'm also gonna have to put down fertilizer to grow the grass. You know why I'm doing this? I want my grass to grow and I want my weeds to die. And as I was uh, looking at my yard, on Thursday and Friday, I heard God say to me, Mark, there's some weeds in your mind that I want you to let die. I want you to stop feeding them. And I want you to let them die. And there's some grass in your heart and I want you to nourish them. I want you to let them grow. You know what? That's true about you too, isn't it? There's some weeds in your mind that maybe you're letting grow. You're nourishing them. You're letting them get bigger and bigger and bigger in your life, in your mind. And there's some grass in your heart that maybe you're not feeding quite as well. What we feed grows and what we withhold withers up and dies. There are some weeds, some fear and doubt and anger and frustration and disappointment and there's some weeds. What are the weeds in your heart? What are the weeds that you are feeding that you need to let die? And what is the grass that God is saying to you? I want you to nourish that. I want that to become strong. I want that to grow in your life. I want you to begin to trust me. I want you to begin to learn how to have joy. I want you to learn to see good in the midst of the bad things that are happening in your life. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. For our present troubles are quite small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us an immeasurably great glory that will last forever. Now stop right there. What are these 
great glory things that will last forever. <laughs> they are our present troubles. God is saying that our present troubles are seeds of great glory. It will let them be. Would you let the problems that you're going through right now be so used of God that they become of the part of the great glory that will last forever? And notice how Paul puts it. He says this, for our present troubles are quite small and they won't last very long. What, you mean rats in prison? Is that, is that what you're saying is very small? You mean having a guard chained to you? Is, is that what you're talking about is very small? You know what Paul is doing? Paul is minimizing the problems of his life. He is minimizing the struggles and the pain and the disappointment and the difficulty that he has experienced in his life. He is minimizing the problems of his life. And he is elevating what God is doing and how he will use those problems for the good of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when Paul does that, what happens? Everything begins to turn around. All of a sudden, his attitude changes. And notice what happens in verse 18. So we don't look at the troubles that we see right now. We take our focus off them. We take our, our emphasis off of them. Rather, we look forward to what we have not yet seen. For the troubles that we see will soon be over, but the joys to come will last forever. When we realize that God is in control and has a greater purpose behind our problems and we choose to focus on that perspective, even when we don't know how they're all going to turn out, we don't know their purpose, we don't know what good things they're bringing in our life, but even if we make that decision, it begins to change everything in our life. How is it that you can move from living off of emotion and turn to have a attitude that you control, that God controls in you, that the world cannot touch. How do you move from happiness to joy? The first thing you gotta do is come to the place to make the decision, I'll look for the good in spite of the bad. And when I see it, oh God, I'll glorify what you're doing in my life. Here's the second thing. Basic number two is I'll begin to draw the power of my life from the Holy Spirit who is within me. The moment you accepted Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit of God came to live inside your life. That very moment, the Holy Spirit of God came to live inside of you, inside of you bodily. Paul is talking about that when he says in verse 19, for I know that how this will all turn out for my deliverance. I know God is going to use this for good. I don't know all the ways he's going to do it, but I know all I'm going through, all the pain and hurt and heartache I'm going through, God is going to use this for good. And I know I will be delivered by two things. One, your prayers for me. Prayer, prayer does matter. When we pray for one another, when others pray for us, when we pray for them, it matters in their life. It changes their life. Paul says, I know that God is going to turn all these negative things that are happening in my life for good because, first of all, the prayers that you are praying for me, but second of all, because of the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of Jesus Christ is just another one of the names in the New Testament for the Holy Spirit. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6 says it this way, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. 
One of the great differences in the New Testament is the understanding and the incorporation of the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. This is why so many miracles happen in the New Testament. This is why the gospel went so powerfully around the world. It was because of the movement and the dependence on the Holy Spirit of God. In Psalm 62, verse 1 and 2, my soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I'll never be shaken. No matter what I go through, no matter what problems I experience, I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. And it is that power, releasing the power of the Holy Spirit in me, that will be the deliverance in my life. It's been about 20 years ago, 25 years ago. I was going through a a deep waters in my life. And those deep waters, those problems that I was experiencing in my life, they weren't just there for a day or two or a week or a month. They were there for months. And I was going through some real deep waters and hurt and struggle. And I went to God and I said, oh God, I need a promise from you. One of the ways in which God has always blessed my life is to me to reach out and find a promise, him to give me a promise from his word and then grab hold of that promise. And all during those weeks and months, God gave me one promise. It reached, came out of that verse that came out of that, that word in my quiet time one day and reached up and grabbed me. I'd read this verse so many times, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15, but I, I'd never really read it, if you know what I mean. It had never been mine. It, it had never been incorporated in my life. I mean, of course, I'd read it, but, but on that day, it was like all of a sudden, as I was reading this passage out of nowhere, came out Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 15, and it reached up and grabbed hold of me and said, I'm yours. And I'm going to tell you for, for, for weeks and for months every day and multiple times every day, I would read that, that promise and I would say, God, this is what I want in my life. And I did everything I could do to yield myself to that promise. Listen to what it says in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. For the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel says, only in returning to me and waiting for me will you be saved. In quietness and confidence is your strength. Over the next few weeks and months, every day I would go to God and I would bring this verse of scripture and I'd say, God, talk to me. What does it mean that you want me to return to you? What is it about my life that I have taken the Lordship back from you? And we went through over the course of those weeks and months, we went through every aspect of my life, every room of my heart, every closet of every room of my heart, every corner of every closet of every room in my heart. How I spent my time, what were the goals of my life, my family, every aspect of my life. I began little by little yielding back to the lordship of God. I kept repenting so much of my life that I had taken back from the Lord and I began to hand it back to him. And day after day after day, I was emptying my heart of me and I was saying to God, would you be in charge of me? It is called the filling of the Holy Spirit. He has come to live inside of us when we come to know Christ as Savior. But what he wants to do is to be the Lord of all of us. 
that we would yield ourselves to him, that we would give every part of ourselves to him, my time, my money, my family, my goals, every aspect of my life. And over the course of that period of time, God just began to empty me of me and began to fill me with him. That's what it means if you'll return to me. And then the second part, and you will wait for me. Don't try to make a change. Don't try to take control. Don't try to get a handle on this. You just wait on me. I have my timing for you. I have the way I'm going to do it. I have the timing to meet your need. Don't try to hurry it up. Don't take it out of my hands. Yield to me. Wait for me. And over the course of all of that, God emptied me of me and filled me with him. And he brought me to a place of understanding the power of waiting on God. And I began to understand his strength, his power. How do you know that you, whether you are living in your power or you're living in the power of the Holy Spirit, how do you know? Well, he defines it at the end of the verse. He says, in quietness and confidence is your strength. When you have yielded yourself to God and now you are living by the power of the Holy Spirit, there will be a quietness that comes over you. There will be a confidence that comes over you. You don't have to make anything happen. God makes it happen. You watch and wait and see the power of God resident in your life. Paul is saying, this is what I'm experiencing. I'm seeing the good in the bad, and I'm also yielding myself to the Holy Spirit. The third thing that he then says is this. Live for a purpose greater than yourself. When things get tough, we need to remind ourselves about what's really important in our life in order to distinguish the significant from the insignificant. So much of our life is taken up in the insignificant. But when we are willing to let God begin to use us for a cause, for a purpose greater than ourselves, something begins to happen inside of us. Now, I want to read to you a passage of Scripture. From verses 15 all the way to verse 26, something strange is happening in this verse, in this passage. But what is happening, and I don't have time to go through all the details of it, but what is happening is that God is using these moments in Paul's life to get his priorities straight. Now, let me read a part of this. Listen to what he says in verse 15. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife. But some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. What is going on in the passage? We don't have time to go deep into what he's saying, but here is a synopsis of what's happening. When Paul is in prison in Rome, there are others, members of the church, even preachers that are in Rome that are criticizing and berating and belittling Paul in prison. You know why he's in prison, don't you? 
because he says that he's living for God. But if he was living for God, God would have already rescued him from prison. By the fact he's still there, it is obvious Paul is not everything he claims to be. And they were belittling him and berating him and mocking him in all of the hardship and the hurt and the wound he was going through. Can you believe this? Not everybody was doing that. Others understood, he said, I'm here because God wants me to be here. There is some important thing that is happening with me being in prison, but not everybody saw it that way. So how did Paul respond? You know, the, when, you, when you have people that are coming at you and beating you up, and they're members of the family of God, how did Paul respond? Verse 18. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I am happy. And I got to tell you, I've read this before. But as I was preparing this message, I said again, wow. When I grow up, I want to be just like this man. But I'm a long way from it, I can tell you. He goes on in the rest of the passage. You don't have time this morning to look at. But here is the, the basic idea of what he's teaching us is in this. It is so important that you and I get our life together in, in understanding the priorities of our life. And here are the priorities. priorities. Christ is first. Jesus is first. Others are second. And I am third. Jesus first, others second, and I am third. And what Paul is saying in the midst of the passage is this. You want to live a life of impact? You want to make a difference in the lives of other people? Do you want to make a difference in eternity? It's not just living out your life from day to day. It is having a priority that is fixed. Jesus Christ, you're the most important part of my life. It is Jesus first. It's others second. It's me third. And what Paul is saying, if you'll do this, if you will live this way, you will be stunned how God will use your life to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Not long after Paul had written this book, Nero made the decision, Nero, the emperor of Rome, made the decision that Paul was a nuisance and a threat to the kingdom of Rome. And he had Paul beheaded. But the very second after Paul's head severed from his body, Paul was then among the supreme court of the universe. And God said to him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It doesn't matter what man says. It doesn't matter what human courts say. It only matters what God says. And did you know? Did you know not long after Nero had separated Paul's head from his body. Nero died. And he stood before the Supreme Court of the universe. It's been 2,000 years since both these men died. Who do you think won? And who do you think lost? You and I have only one life to live. And we've got to make the most of it. And making the most of our life means that we have to move away from an emotion and move to an attitude of joy, willing to see the good in the hurt. Willing to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
willing to let God use us with right priorities. Jesus, you are first in my life. Others are second and I'm third because I want my life to make a difference. And one day when I stand before the Supreme Court of the universe, I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Do you know Jesus today? Have you given your heart to him? If you haven't, you can. You can. In just a moment after I pray, I want to encourage all of you that are listening online, go to the online Next Step Center. Talk to one of our pastors. Would you talk to one of our pastors? How can I know Jesus as my Savior? How can I grow in my relationship with God? How can I learn how to trust God more deeply? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for all you've done in our life. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for dying on a cross for us and raising from the dead. And, oh, God, we want to live for you. We want the power of your Spirit resident in our life and living through us. And we want our life to matter. We only get one chance at this. We want you to make the most of our life, more impactful than we ever imagined it could be. Use us. Father, I pray you would move in hearts today to receive Jesus as their Savior and Christians to turn their heart more fully to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.